Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Well, church, great to see you today. So excited that you're here. And this morning, uh, Dan had actually shared a little bit that uh, we uh, wanted to invite uh, Wesley to come and to share with us this morning. I've made him some promises that I'm hoping you will keep the promise on my behalf. Uh, I've said that anytime you say anything funny, you will laugh. I've said that you will sit on the edge of your seat. I, I've said that you always act as though you were incredibly uh, interested in what is being said. Yeah, well, good luck, son. Uh, anyway, hey, would you well, welcome Wesley as he comes and shares this morning. Well, thank you very much. Well, I just wanted to start by saying I'm, I'm honored the, by the fact I would get to speak to you today. Pastor Dan and Pastor Ann and Pastor Phil have all helped me and encouraged me as they've given me this opportunity. I'm, I'm very excited. I'm very honored that you would listen to me. I've been, I've been at Colonial Woods for a very long time, as many of you know. I started 16 years ago when I, was two, when I was two years old. I've been through the kids ministry. I've been through the youth ministry. And I just graduated from the youth ministry. I'm very excited. And I, love, I love Colonial Woods. I love my home. So today, I decided I would take the opportunity to tell as many embarrassing stories about my dad as I can. He's had 16 years too long to tell embarrassing stories about me. I'm just kidding. I, I'm not going to tell any, but I would love to, and I thought I'd point that out that I could. But if you want to turn your Bibles to 1 Kings 22, uh, go ahead and put your finger there. It'll be 1 Kings 22, verse 34 through 35. That's 1 Kings 22. Go ahead and just put your finger there in your Bible. It's also in your note sheet. When I was a young, when I was a young man, I was in seventh grade, and I decided I wanted to get a job. So I got a job here at the church as a custodian. And it was during a renovation project of our church, and it was such an exciting time for us. We were tearing down walls. We were digging elevator pits. It was so much fun to me to be a part of that. My, this, this little guy part of something so big. And I loved every minute of it, up until my boss had a new job for me. And my boss said, hey, Wesley, I need you, I need you to do something for me. I go, yes, boss, what can I do for you? Because I, I, was, I was a very uh, energetic little kid. And I, and I said, yes, boss, what do you need from me? And he goes, all right, well, Wesley, you know how we've been tearing down brick walls for the last couple months, right? I'm like, yes. And he goes, well, we saved all the bricks, and we stored them on this cart, and I needed you to move the cart. And I was not excited at all for this job. And I, said, and I looked at this cart he had before me. It was this little, like, little pallet with wheels. It was really low to the ground. It had about, probably had over 100 bricks on it. And I was not excited for this job at all. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, maybe if I work as hard as I can, I have as much time as I need. Maybe I can move this somewhere in the church. And I go, all right, boss, where do you want it? And he goes, well, it's not in the church. I want you to push it out to the back garage of the parking lot. We have a big parking lot, church. <laughs> if I didn't know before that, I know now. I was a weak kid. As many people remind me at this time in my life, I didn't do very much. And my boss had asked me to do this giant job in my mind. I was like, this is a lost cause. I can't do this. But I didn't want to disappoint my boss. And so I said, all right, boss, I'll try. 
And so I worked and I worked and I pushed this pile of bricks. But I want you to know, this pile, this, this brick, I said it was on a cart, right? It was like a little pallet. And it was really low to the ground. And there was no like pull string or anything. It was, it was, you had to push it. So I had to get down on the ground and push like this. And I might have back problems from that now. But I had to push like that, and I kept going, and I kept going, I just leaned into it. And you know, after 20 minutes, I got about halfway apart across the parking lot. I didn't make it all the way. And I stopped at that halfway point, and I just leaned up against this pile of bricks, and I go, Ah, help me, Lord. I can't do it. This is a lost cause. There's no way I can move this stupid pile of bricks. And you know, I could have given up right there and I was about to because in my own, and I couldn't do it. But you know, I kept going because I didn't want to disappoint my boss and I kept going and I kept going. And no joke, it probably did take me about 45 minutes to get this pile of bricks back there. But you know, I got back there. It was a job, it was a lost cause that I never thought I would get through and yet I did. By the way, we still have the bricks here around the church and I've had to move them two other times. But we've hidden them. I've kind of put them in a place where no one can find them. So <laughs> hopefully I won't be asked to move them again before I leave from an intern. But you know, I think we have these situations in our life that, that feel a lot like we're pushing a pile of bricks. We have, the, we have these people in our life who are, are, are lost causes, are people that we never think that would be, we'd be able to move. They're, 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 they're just lost. There's nothing we can do in our own strength. We've tried everything we can, but they're just, they're a lost cause. Elijah the prophet had one of those people. His name was Ahab. And the Lord came to Elijah and he said, all right, Elijah, I have a job for you. I want you to minister to this evil king who's been ruling Israel for a while. I want you to minister to him. And it may not seem like he'll ever change. And it may feel like just, you're just full of discouragement. But I want you to go after him. And Elijah said, all right, Lord, let's do it. And God said, all right, I'm going to start giving him signs. And we're just, going to, we're just going to give him so many signs that there's no possible way that he can deny my existence. And he has to face me and he'll change his ways. And so the Lord started giving Elijah signs. The first sign was that there would be a drought. There would be no rain. And so Elijah went to evil King Ahab and he said, all right, Ahab, to get your attention, the Lord's going to cause a drought. And he's going to cause all the rain to, to go out. And you're not going to have rain until I say so. And Ahab's like, oh yeah, that makes, that, yeah, you're, that's not going to happen. There's no way. You can't do something huge like that. Well, it happened. And there was no rain for many years. And Ahab got desperate. He, was, he, he didn't know where any of the water would be. He, was, he started looking all over the place because the grass was dying. And he got desperate for the Lord. Or not for the Lord, he just got desperate in the situation. He knew he needed something to change. And by the way, this story can be found in, in the first in, in the first Kings 20, which is the following two chapters before our passage that we're in. This is the story of Elijah, if you want to look back at all these signs. But there was no rain, and Ahab just got desperate. And so the Lord said, all right, Elijah, here's where we get him. Here's where you go, because now he's ready to hear me. So what you're going to do is you're going to tell him, you're going to tell him there's going to be a contest, and you're going to go to Mount Carmel, and you're going to say, Ahab... You're going to gather all your people together and you're going to worship your god Baal and you're going to worship all, all the, fa- the false gods that you can think of and you're going to try to call down fire from heaven. 
And if you do that, we'll know that, you're, that any of your gods are real. But then if that doesn't work, I'm going to call down fire from my God, Yahweh. And if, he calls to, and if I call down fire from him, he's real. And so they did. Ahab did everything that he could. He did everything that he could so desperately. He was waiting for this fire to prove somehow God does not exist. And yet his fire never came. And when it was Elijah's turn, he goes, all right, Lord, call down fire. Fire of the Lord came just like that. Ahab's second sign. Now, I don't know about you, but if I saw fire come down from heaven, that would probably scare me. I think that would get my attention. How many of you, would that, would that get your attention? Okay, well, you're not Ahab because that didn't work. That some, I, 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 can't, I just can't understand how this guy couldn't get it through his head that the Lord's real after this fire. And so they had to keep going through more signs. The Lord said, all right, Elijah, I want you to end the drought. We're gonna re- the rain's going to return. And so the rain came down, and that was the end of the drought, just when, when Elijah said it, what it, when it would happen. That was the Lord's third sign. But when that rain started coming down, Ahab went back to his palace to get away from the rain. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he said, All right, Elijah, I want you to run back to his palace and beat him. And so he did. That's the fourth sign. Elijah outruns his chariot, and so he's faster than these horses that are working together. Which is crazy. These four signs, they weren't enough for Ahab. Because after a while, the next five signs will actually go together. And they'll be, they'll be about this battle that Ahab is part of. Because Ahab had this enemy, then they were named the Arameans. And they came to Ahab and they threatened him. And they, and they told him if he, didn't, if he didn't give up everything that he owned, that they were going to destroy him. And so he went out to battle them. But the Lord said to him, Ahab, there's no way you can beat this guy. You're vastly outnumbered. There's no possible way that you could do it. But you're going to win because I'm going to let you win. And so he does. He goes out into battle. That's the sixth sign. Uh, sorry, the fifth sign. And God defeats the Arameans. Some, some of that should have never been defeated. But God said, get ready, Elijah. Because in a year, they're going to come back. That's sign number six. He predicts that they would return. Because God's not just doing amazing things. He's predicting the amazing things that, he's going, that, that are going to happen. And you know what he says? That's okay, because we're going to beat him again. That's sign number seven. That's twice that the Lord let him beat an army that was unbeatable. After a while, there was some peace, but Ahab said, you know what? Those guys we've beaten twice, I'm going to go out and fight them again. Why not? I've beaten them twice already. But the Lord says, Elijah, I don't want you to do that. I'm sorry, Ahab, I don't want you to do that. If you do that, these are the next two signs. Not only will you be defeated, but you're also going to die. It's number nine. He predicts the two next things that will happen to him. And he says, he says Ahab, just look, at, look, look back at the last seven signs. Look at all this stuff I've done. You need to trust me on this one. You're not going to win. And Ahab goes, you know what? I've done pretty good so far. I'm going to fight him again. I don't need you, Lord. So he goes out into battle. The story picks up in that passage, 1 Kings 22, verse 34. It says, But someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the sections of his armor. 
The king told his chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. All day long the battle raged. The king was propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans. The blood from his wound ran onto the floor of the chariot and that evening he died. And I was waiting for it, and it didn't happen in this passage. I've been waiting to hear something, and it seems like it's missing. Where's the part where Ahab turns away from his wickedness? Where's the redemption that happens? Because we don't see that happen here. It doesn't say that Ahab called out to the Lord and said, Lord, I understand. I see everything that you've done in my life. I get it. You've been trying to get my attention. I'm so sorry I didn't listen. There's none of that. There was, no, there was no repentance on Ahab's part. We look at this story and we go, Ahab was just a lost cause. He was never going to turn. If I was Elijah ministering to this guy, I think I'd get a little frustrated. Lord, why are you having me work with this guy who's unlovable, who's not going to change? Why have I wasted my time on him? We could have been working with so many other people. This guy just doesn't even, it doesn't even make sense. He, he has to even know that you're real. We've given him so much information. We've given him so much signs, so much proof that you're real, and he's not listening. In my life, I know I, in my, in my short 18 years even, I have these people that are very hard to even see them turning. It's easy to see people without hope in my life sometimes. In all of our lives, we have those people. We, even maybe, have a, as I've been telling this story, you've thought of someone that's your lost cause. Someone that's so, that's so far gone, they're not going to change. We've tried everything. We've tried being kind. We've gone, we've gone the extra mile. We've even got to the point where we just want to cut them out of our lives, but we don't know how. So here's the question. Why would we pursue the lost causes? Why would we? Why, when we have those Ahabs in our life who aren't gonna, who aren't gonna turn no matter what we do, what's, what's the point? Well, the first thing we gotta do is we gotta change our thinking. Because this whole time we've been using this term lost causes. And we've been using it so loosely. But here's the truth. There's no lost causes. There's no one so far gone that the grace of God cannot reach them. Can I get an amen on that? God's grace is so big that we try to limit his ability to save people by looking at people as lost causes. And that's just not the case. It's not. In fact, the only lost cause is someone who dies without that hope of Christ. Because when you pass away, that choice is taken away. You no, you no longer, that option is gone. But up until then, every, everyone has that chance. Even when it doesn't seem like it in our earthly eyes, we look at people as lost causes, but they're not. We need to change our thinking. Because when we start seeing people as not the lost cause, but someone that's in need of that grace, we can start seeing people with hope. That there can be a change. When we see people with hope, then we can start doing stuff, church. We need to see people with hope. So this whole, this whole rest of our time together, and even on the slides, we're going to be still using the term lost causes. 
But we know there are no lost causes. And in fact, there's big parentheses over it in, in the slides. There are lost causes, but they're not, really, they're not really that far gone. So why do we pursue these lost cause people? Well, number one, God wants to offer every chance for redemption. This isn't anything new. This makes sense in our mind. That God wants to redeem people no matter how far gone they are. Let's look, but sometimes I don't think we get how deep and how, how far that last chance goes. In Luke 22, and we have it on the screen, but we also have it in your notes too. It says, well, it, this is a, I'll give you a little background on this, on this story. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane getting ready to be betrayed and going to the cross. He's spending his last time with his disciples, and he knew Judas Iscariot's going to betray him. He knew it. But Judas is coming to him. And this is, this is their interaction. It says, while he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? I don't think this was a question like, are you doing this? I don't think, I don't think that's what Jesus was asking. He knew he was going to. He knew exactly why he was there. In fact, I'd even, I, I, we know that Jesus knew he was going to betray him, that he was going to anyway. But if we were to rephrase this, this is Jesus opening his arms to, to Judas, giving him that last rope. Where he says, Judas, are you really going to do this? Because you don't have to. We're this far gone, Judas, but you're, you're not the lost cause. You still have this choice. Even though I know you're not going to take it, I still want to offer it to you. Because that's just the nature of God. And you know, we're, we're Christians. We're called to be Christ-like. We're called to look more like Christ. And this is very, very uh, obvious in the Bible uh, that this is what Christ is, wants us to do. This is who Christ was. He offered the lost, cause, the lost cause every chance for redemption. He calls us to do the exact same thing. He wants to use us as vessels for his grace. Because it's not our grace to give at all. It's his. But it's honoring that he would choose to use us to, to give it away. Isn't that honoring? Because God could do it himself. He could come down. He could, he could personally save people. But he chooses to use us to, to tell others about him. He uses us as that sign and again, it's not our power that does it. It's not anything to do with us, but when we're open, God can do amazing things through us. God wants to offer every chance for redemption. Number two, lost causes often won't come unless they're pursued. We know that God wants to offer every chance for redemption, and he wants us to pursue them because a lot of times they're not going to change unless we come. It's like, the, it's like Newton's law of, of motion, right? Where it says an object in motion tends to stay in motion. It makes sense because it's going to keep going the same way it always was. But a person in sin tends to stay in sin. Because that's, that's their habit. That's what they're used to. They need a course correction. It'd be like if I took a ball and I threw it across the back of the sanctuary. It, would, it would probably wouldn't just stop in midair in this, in this wall of air and just go, and it's going to go a different way. 
That's not how it works, because it would keep going the way I threw it. It would keep going that way no matter what, unless something comes along to stop it. And we're called to be that, that stimulus. Many of you are familiar with the story of Hosea. The Lord called this prophet Hosea during, during the time of the Old Testament, and he and he's said to Hosea, Hosea, I want you to do something different. Your life's going to be different. It's going to look completely countercultural. In fact, a lot of people are going to look at you strange, and they might even think you're not listening to me. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to love someone who's unlovable. I want you to be an example of how I love the church and how I love people, even when they're unfaithful to me. And so he said, I want you to marry a prostitute which is so countercultural and it seems so wrong. But you're going you're gonna to be an example of how I love people. And so Hosea listened. He, he married a woman named Gomer. And she was, she was an unfaithful woman. But you know what? He loved her. And they started a family. And they, were, and they had children together. And they were so happy. But then one day Gomer left. She, she did exactly what Hosea thought she might do and he was afraid of. And there's chapters in the Bible just devoted to this where Hosea is just crying out in anguish. But you know, he, he was the example of God's true love. Because God called him later and he said, Hosea, I want you to go and I want you to pursue your wife, even though she's been unfaithful to you. That's just... That's the ultimate redemption right there. I think Hosea could have stayed there and goes, Lord, I don't, I don't want to. Because she's hurt me. But he listened. The story picks up in Hosea 3. And it says, The Lord said to me, Go show love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I, bought her, so I bought her with 15 shekels of silver and about an omer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. I think it would be easy just to read this passage and go, oh, that's nice. He, got his, he, he, he went and he found his wife, but did you catch where she was? He had to purchase her. She was a slave. When you're a slave, you, you have no free will to do anything. If she's owned by someone else, she's not ever coming back to Hosea. There was no possible way she was ever going to make her way back to him, even if, he, if she wanted to. Hosea had to go and he had to buy her back. I love the chapter heading in my Bible where it says, Hosea redeems Gomer. Because there was no possible way she was ever going to come back if she, if she, unless she wanted to. You know, church, I think we're... People are a lot like that. They won't ever come back unless we go out and we get them. They're not going to come back unless they're pursued. Number three. Lost causes need to be shown what they're missing. A lot of times they don't realize that gap in their life. Actually, many people know there's a gap, but they don't know what's missing from their life. Some people are oblivious. Some people don't know anything's wrong, but many people do. They know they're missing something deep. They just can't figure out for the life of them what it is. 
The woman at the well was one of these people. She tried everything to, to fill her life with something that, that, was, uh, that was not God. But Jesus came to her one day and he said, hey, uh, he, he was very intentional about talking to her. Because the Bible tells us she's tried to fill her, her life with men, different, all kinds of different men that she's lived with throughout her life. But she feels so empty. And in John fa- chapter 4, Jesus addresses her and he says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. It's not about the water. They were talking about, I mean, they were around a well, so it made sense that she would understand this. But it wasn't about the water at all. It was about her being thirsty for something. And, you know, she never knew exactly what it was she was thirsting for until Jesus came and he, point, and he pointed it out to her. She needed him. She needed that hope that Jesus offers us through that redemption. So oftentimes people don't know what they need. I had the opportunity to go to Mexico a month ago with our missions team. And many of you may remember that we commissioned the, the group in this service. And we all, we all reached out our hands and we prayed over, over our team. And I loved going down to Mexico. It was, it was seeing a completely new culture and it just made me realize so many things about our culture that I love and so many things about their culture that I love too. But we had the opportunity to go and work with that church down there in La Fuente Riviera. And they're so involved in their, in their, in their community. What they, what they do is they actually go house to house and minister to people. So we got to, we got to do that same thing where we, we brought bags of food to people's houses and we gave it to them. And we offered to pray over them, and almost, and I think every single time, no one, no one refused us praying over them. They wanted that so deeply. There was one particular woman that we, that we ministered to, and she had a gate at her house. It looks a lot like our, like our fun zoo stuff here. I love that this is here because it, it gives the example, where there's those, there's those bars. And so we, she wouldn't let us in, but got to see her through the cracks of the, of the, bar, of the bars. And we gave, her, we gave her food, and we, she even let us pray over her through this gate. We might have been the first people who have, ever, who have ever done that for her. She might not even known the church existed where it was, because we had driven a little ways. But now she, know, she knew that she had a place where she could come and find healing. We're called to minister to the people through the gates. We told her exactly what she needed. We told her the church was there for her. Not only did we pursue her, but we told her what she was missing. So God wants us to offer every chance for redemption. He also, he also uh, wants us to pursue them because they won't come unless they're pursued. We need to show them what they're missing, but this is the last one. This is the hardest one. You will make an impact, but you might not get to see it. No matter what you do, you're going to make an impact somehow. I love that verse that's on the screen, a man reaps what he sows. I love that because it, it paints this picture of a tree. Because when you have a tree, you have a little seed. What you have to do is you have to get down on your knees and you have to plant the tree. You have to work on the soil and you have to fertilize the soil and you have to, to, to water it when, it's not rain, when it hasn't rained. You have to be very intentional about taking care of this seed. 
And you know, a lot of times you don't get, you have to be very patient with it. You don't always get to see it grow completely. Think about the, the redwood trees out in, Cal- in California, how big they are, how old they are. The people who planted them probably never got to see them get so tall. And a lot of times when you plant that seed, you don't get to see the tree. You might see a sprout, but we can't get discouraged when we, only, when we don't get to see the tree. Because that doesn't mean that there's going to be any less of a tree eventually. And we got to start that. So many times it's easy to get discouraged and when we don't see progress. So I want to finish our story. We left off with Elijah and Ahab, but that wasn't the end of the story. We, started where ah- we stopped where Ahab died, but the story does not stop there. See, Elijah was called to minister to this evil man, Ahab. We know this. And Ahab refused the message that was given to him, and he, d- and he died in his wickedness. And Ahab had a battle with the people called the Aramaeans, who were a huge army who, who he ended up beating, but they were so much larger, th- larger than him, and they beat him eventually. But Elijah was called to minister to another man named Elisha. And this was a different kind of ministering. He was, he was the person who would succeed him. He was his mentor. He poured into Elisha and he, and he gave him all kinds of advice and he, told him, he taught him about the Lord. And you know, he poured so much into Elisha. There's another man we need to, we need to talk about. His name's Naaman. And Naaman was the, was the commander of the Aramaeans. He was the person that was in charge of this army, in fact, that had killed Ahab. But Naaman had a special skin disease. Leprosy, where it eats apart his skin and it starts falling apart. It's very gross and it's a very lethal, lethal disease. So he knew he was going to die. He was a lost cause. There was no chance he was going to make it. So he heard about this man named Elisha in Israel. And by this time, Elijah's gone. He's, he's passed away. Or he was taken up into heaven. But he heard about this man named Elisha. And so he went to him and he said, Elisha, is there any chance that you can help me with your God? There is power. And so Elisha healed this man. This man who was, by the way, an enemy of Israel, who, who they never should have ever met. And Naaman changed his ways. He started worshiping Yahweh. He started, he started getting rid of all of his false idols and he worshiped the Lord. This caused a change in Naaman that never should have ever happened. And I got to believe that Naaman, when he went back because of his position, he influenced more people. This was a huge impact for someone like Naaman who was a lost cause that never should have ever heard about the Lord. And I know it would be easy to give a lot of credit to Elisha, but it didn't start with him. This whole story started with Elijah. This started with the, with the impact and the, the sowing of the seed that he had for Elisha. Without Elijah, there would be no, no Elisha and there would be no interaction between him and Naaman. And you know, Elijah could have just died being discouraged that, you know, Ahab never got the message. He never got it. But you know, Naaman got it. You'll make an impact, even if you don't get to see it. So why is this important? Why, why do we need to pursue these lost causes? Well, here's the, here's the thing, church. We were all lost causes at one point. We all thought there was no hope for ourselves. We all thought that we were too far gone. But we're not. 
and we weren't. God calls us to pursue those people, the unlovable people, the people that should never, ever change. But through His grace, they can. And He wants to use us to pursue those people. And yes, it's so easy to get discouraged when we don't get to see it. We, maybe we don't get to see it that day. I have someone I'm waiting on right now, and I'm, it's so easy to get discouraged when we don't see progress. But progress is being made. Even if it's in, if it's in a totally different way than we expected it. Look at Elijah. He would have never thought he would have impacted Naaman. So here's the, the, the challenge for us, church. Who's your lost cause? Who are the people in your life that you lost all hope for? That don't seem like they could ever change, but the Lord's calling you to pursue them anyway. Because you're going to make an impact, church. You will. You may not get to see it, but you will have an impact on those people. Even when you don't think that you can. Everything you do makes a difference. But here's the other thing. Some of us feel like the lost causes today. Some of us feel like there's no possibility for redemption. There's, we're too far gone. It makes sense that uh, maybe, maybe other people can. Maybe it makes sense that they could be saved, but no, it's not for me. You know what it is? This, this is for you. There's hope for you. You can be redeemed. You have the body of Christ here today who's just cheering you on, saying, yes, come home. Find this hope that's in Christ. There's hope. You are not a lost cause. In fact, today we're going to be opening up the altar. If you want to come down and pray, we'll have prayer partners with you. I guarantee you, you are not a lost cause. And for all of us who are waiting for our lost cause, don't give up. Don't give up. If you can't think of someone right now, pray for one. So we can go and we can make a change. So when we have that hope, we can start doing amazing things. You're not a lost cause. And who is your lost cause today that God wants you to impact? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you that you never gave up on us. I love that song that we sang with Christ is risen, where the prodigal is welcomed home, the sinner's now a saint. Lord, we're praying for the prodigals to come home and we welcome them home and we will be the hands and feet of Jesus. Because you called us not just to sit around and hope that people are saved. You called us out to pursue them and offer them that grace that isn't ours that we should be giving. It's yours completely, but we thank you that you use us and you honor us through that. And Lord, a lot of people today may be feeling like the lost cause there's no, maybe like they feel like there's no hope. Lord, you tell us that you welcome us with open arms. There's always a chance for redemption. Just like Hosea and Gomer where you, you came and you bought us with a price when you died on the cross. There's no way we could do it on our own. But you pursued us. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you that no one's a lost cause in your book and that we can redefine our hopeless situations. Because this isn't meant to be a, a condemning message where we talk about all the problems, but Lord, it's supposed to be encouraging. You're saying, yes, keep going, keep going. Go after that person. Don't give up on them. We thank you for your good grace, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank Wesley this morning for sharing. It's a powerful word. It's, uh, when you feel like a lost cause or you feel like you have a lost cause. And you know what's interesting, and I, I shared this with Wesley um, between services. I, I had a senior saint well into their 70s that came up to me and, and said, you know what, just this week, I said that very phrase. I was with some people and I said, you know what, it's lost cause. And so it doesn't matter if you're young or if you're middle-aged or if you are well into your senior years. We all have those lost causes. And if you're here today, whether you're young, middle-aged, or senior years, and you feel like a lost cause, it is never too late until it's too late. And God wants, His very character of God is that He is not slow in acting as some think slow to be. He is patient, wanting everyone to come to redemption in Him. So Father, as we go today, we want to walk in Your truth and in Your constant pursuit. We love you and thank you for your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.